I go to my first game at Fenway. I've been at Fenway before for an event, but to watch the Red Sox, I've never, never been. So my wife, my daughter, my father-in-law, and it's like 95 degrees at game time. It's so hot. And I'm like, they're going to hit like six home runs, watch. The game gets going, and they did. I think they hit like exactly six. But the crazy part about it was the worst loss the Red Sox ever had in history at Fenway. It was like 28 to something, or 29. And it was like the Blue Jays just teeing off. It was the it was the craziest thing I ever I've ever seen. What's up, Bucketheads? Thanks for tuning in and welcome to episode number 73 of the Baseball Bucket List podcast. I'm your host, Anna Tomaso, and each week on the show, I speak with a different baseball fan about their favorite memories, what's left on their baseball bucket list, and what the game of baseball means to them. This week, I had a great time sitting down with Joseph R. Guzman from the South Florida area. Joseph is an advisor and agent with the LA-based Empowerment Sports Group. We get a chance to hear how Joseph's own baseball journey was impacted by his need for brain surgery and how that experience helped him realize that he wanted to help coach and guide young athletes, eventually leading to his current career. We discuss the difference between advisors and agents, get into some of the draft process, and talk about ways for parents to help their kids grow athletically. Plus, Joseph gives us some prospects to keep our eyes on in the coming years. We, of course, also touch on all the baseball bucket list classic questions, but this was a super interesting interview with a lot more to it, and I learned a ton from Joseph. Without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy some baseball banter with Joseph R. Guzman. Joseph, thank you so much for joining us today on the Baseball Bucket List. How are things in your world in uh, South Florida there? Everything's going well. Everything's going well. Just So I'm an MLB certified agent slash advisor. Just getting ready for the new seasons that are coming up for all the pro guys. Also our college guys, high school guys that we represent. We'll watch them play this spring. I can't wait to, to dive into that a little more, but we're going to get started with my, my leadoff question here, which is how did you become a fan of the game of baseball? Kind of what was your origin story of getting involved with the game? Okay, so it started at a really young age. My dad played baseball um, in New York. He grew up in the Dominican Republic until he was about eight years old, and he moved to New York. Uh, he played multiple sports, played baseball. He played with Sean Dunstan. Um, with Berto Hernandez, guys that played in the major leagues. Uh, and, and my dad just really instilled that that part of the game for me at a very young age. And I was always with the ball in my hand, always playing. Um, when I grew up in New York, Queens, and so there wasn't any T-ball. We went straight to coach pitch. You know, we're four, three or four. We're just trying to, you know, make contact. And um, ever since then, I just really, really loved the game and enjoyed it. Um, and I worked relentlessly to to improve my skills. As I grew up, I got better. Um, I was lacking in, in some athletic stamp from an athletic standpoint, just the speed and running and things of that nature. So I really worked on that. And then when I was 15, I moved from New York down to South Florida, and that's where I really like took off and really learned the game playing year round I, I really noticed like I was very far behind when I first got here compared to the kids that live here and it's because they just play um, year round here in Florida um, so as a sophomore you know I played a lot of games on varsity I went to a school called Sagemont Weston the private school the newer school 
Um, the hitting instructor that I had when I first got here helped me a lot. He took over the program there and I decided to go there and, you know, I really started to develop and I just loved the game. Um, got a scholarship to go to Tennessee Wesleyan, which is an NAIA powerhouse. It was, I mean, one of the best teams that I was ever a part of. However, I didn't play much. Uh, so after that, I bounced around a little bit from school to school and I ended up at Florida Memorial University down here in Miami Gardens and had a really, really good junior year. Had some pre-draft workouts, had some things, you know, some promising things. I led the team in average, RBIs, extra base hits, slugging. Um, and I was a good hitter and I played third base. So I was a good defender. And it wasn't until that summer that I realized I had excruciating headaches and I had to have brain surgery. Oh my goodness. So oh. it was it was a long <laughs> it was a long time that I spent with those headaches and, and uh, migraines really for like six, eight hours a day. So that summer after the workouts I attended and I didn't get signed. I went to to get an MRI at the emergency room and there was a cyst underneath my brain and just like all this whirlwind <laughs> of things going on. Good but I look back at now and I'm like, wow, good thing I was, you know, kind of clueless. So. <laughs> <laughs> all is good now, though. I mean, like all, everything of that, like shook out all good and, and you're you're good and healthy. And yeah, okay. so that summer was really eye opening for me. Um, I saw that I could have used, you know, the type of person I am now that helps these guys. I could have used a person like myself. Um, so I came back from surgery. I missed the whole fall of uh, my senior year and had limited at bats in the spring, my senior year. And then after that, I realized like, okay, like, what am I going to do? I went to indie ball, um, worked out, did really well, did end up making the team. And then I started coaching. So I coached at Terrell high school as an assistant for three years and in the summers I would go and worked with Covington Lumberjacks in the Valley. I had a really good mentor there, Stock Ramirez. He also coached me at Florida Memorial, and he was able to bring me to coach up there. And so I started to realize I'm good at helping players find schools. I'm, I'm good at making connections with coaches, and I have connections all over the world now just from just staying in contact with people. And then this agency – basically recruited me to do scouting, recruitment, just make notes on players and get some leads and things. And within the first three years there, I had was 18 guys that I had found that were drafted or signed with the agency. Um, so then I really started to, to grow and love that even more. And then I moved to another company, which is more aligned with my vision, my partner, Michael McGinnis. And he's very much like me. We want to help every single guy that we have, not abandon them. And it's one of those things where in this industry, guys stop talking to players. You know, there's agents mm -hmm. that stop talking to players when they don't hit well. They're in the minor leagues. They're not hitting well. Um, so we, we kind of wanted to change that. And I, I always want to be honest with my guys. If I feel like they don't have an opportunity to move to the next level, um, then I want them to know. You know, I'm doing everything I can, but it doesn't look likely. You know? So, and then that's you know where I'm at now. We have 16 pro players. We have four that are AAA this past year. So, uh, 
we might have our first homegrown big leaker soon. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the differences between agent and advisor and kind of, you know, what that looks like. So as an agent, you're able to negotiate contracts for players. Um, you're able to provide them with the equipment they're going to need, but they have to be a professional. There's rules against doing those things when a player is in college or in high school. You know, that's against the rules. Right. Advising is basically just being the person to answer questions for your draft prospects that have you down as an advisor. Um, but you cannot provide anything of value if you do your you're breaking you're breaking um, the rules. So, you know, we can't go out and buy the bats or gloves or do anything like that that can jeopardize their their eligibility in college, um, especially if they're committed somewhere or if they are already in college. Um, so the only thing we can do is just be a resource to them and provide them with our best advice. And then once the draft rolls around, scouts may contact us about the player. And, and then at that point, we, we can answer questions that the scouts have about the player and vice versa and just, you know, be that that person to help on both sides. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, one of the things that I think about a lot now is how different the competitive landscape in any sport is, right? But baseball in particular, like you think about even just 50, 60 years ago, the guys who were playing major league baseball had like a second job, right? <laughs> like they they were right. they they were a doctor, they were like, you know, they had jobs in the off season and now you have kids with access to like facilities and these responsibilities that like are way crazier than anything that the likes of like Ted Williams or or Babe Ruth or, you know, Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio could have like ever imagined. So I imagine that like on a daily basis, the landscape gets more difficult to kind of navigate through. There's more kids with access to great training and resources and talent. And so like every day, it probably just gets harder and harder to become a pro ball player. Absolutely. So another thing that I mentioned after, you know, in between my stint of um, coaching high school and coaching collegiately in college summer league in the Valley. Um, I also worked uh, with the Royals at an internship opportunity with Jeff Deskin. And Jeff is a cultural development. I believe he's been promoted since then. So he's a cultural, cultural development person for the Kansas City Royals. And I did exp- extend his spring training with the Kansas City Royals Dominican team. And then after that, I worked with him in the fall season. So basically what his job was was to get these Latin American kids acclimated to American life. So we would work on teaching them English. We would work on teaching them what batting average meant. Uh, A lot of, I would say probably 85% didn't even know how close they were to hitting 300. You know, (laughs) like they didn't know all the details. And that's probably why, you know, a lot of them are are such good players when they get to the big leagues because they're just like not even thinking. They're just like, you know, I need to hit 300. I'm not worried to like go over. So that was a really big eye-opening experience for me to be down there and see those prospects. And they're young. You know, you're talking about kids that signed um, 16, 17, wow. 18 years old. And all the only way off the island you know, or country, you know, Venezuela, Dominican Republic, or any countries around the world, there's even kids that are they're signing from Africa. And they all 
have an academy in the Dominican Republic for each major league team. So when they're when they're young, they send them there. Um, there's very few times that they send that prospect straight to the U.S. to Arizona or Florida. So I think when I was there during that time, um, playing extended spring training and seeing these kids like um, Miguel Monte was a guy that I, I would hit like live BP off of, and he was on like 91. He made it to the big leagues. He was still on like 100. Mm one when he made it up there um your donnie ventura um that he passed away unfortunately and there was a handful of other kids that i you know they were they became big leaguers but it was incredible to see like their starting point and then how they got there but they they needed to get acclimated to things so you know following when i when i played in that extended spring training with them um and i worked with jeff we were able to see how different it was for these kids. And when they got here, you know, sometimes they didn't even know what they can order. So they, or they only want to work, you know, and it'd be like pancakes <laughs> and that's all they would order because they didn't know. So yeah. it was, it was basically Jeff's job to teach them about different holidays here. And, and that's the thing. So like going back to what you were saying about the facilities, now you're going against kids that are, you know, 16, 17 years old, and they're giving them the facilities there when they sign the, you know, the weight rooms, the nutrition, all the things that you need to be successful. So now you're here in the United States, and if you're 18 years old and you're far behind, it's going to be harder for you to get drafted. It's going to be harder. Um, so it's important to have people in your corner definitely pushing for you, but also um, being an advisor to these guys, I can also point them in the right direction. I can say, this hitting instructor in your area is awesome. I've created really, really good relationships with a lot of people. Or I can say this strength and facility, uh, strength and conditioning facility is really, really good. You should definitely go there. I have some cool guys that work out there. So kind of navigate and put them in the best position to succeed because it's very competitive. And I'm seeing that these kids are like the ones that are very serious are more locked in than 20 years ago. Oh, like sure. there's yeah. no. <laughs> It's yeah. very different. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like you have to be, I think, you know, cause I played competitive soccer my entire life and I, I'm, I also grew up in South Florida and I spent a, a large, a large amount of time at IMG. And so like, but that was 15 years ago. And now like we were just in Florida last week and I always drive through IMG and I'm like, this place looks crazy. Like <laughs> it looks like, you know, it's for the Rays or the Bucks or something like that. So I know that I had like top tier access to the best of the best when I was young but like now it's just crazy and crazy and crazier and like the kids are yeah. so much better than I ever was and like it's just nuts it's, right. it's nuts so part of like you're talking about some of the acclimation and kind of like getting used to this idea of being in a like the culture shock I guess is like the best way to say it are you guys able to help kids kind of wrap their heads around like what being a professional athlete would mean, like prepare them for success off the field as opposed to on the field. Right. Yes, definitely. I mean, being an agent, it's just, you're basically like, like an uncle. I mean, the way I, the way I treat my guys, <laughs> it's like, they're going to ask you things. You're, you're going to have to help guide them through situations. Sometimes they're going to have to deal with situations with coaches too. Uh, a coach will say something that like really rubs them the wrong way. And they have to understand, like, you can't just react. Yeah. Um, 
because there's different personalities, especially in baseball. You know, you have coaches that were very successful and then you have coaches that weren't as successful. So they have like this chip on their shoulder or if they were very, very successful and you don't listen to them then they feel a certain type of way. So, you know, we, we try to prepare them as best we can um, and just tell them that they have to like analyze situations and really listen to what people are saying and don't just react because there's going to be things you don't like. There's going to be things that you don't agree with. But you have to understand where they're coming from and why they're saying certain things. You know, it's and it and it's so for the Latin American kids when we were working with them, they didn't speak English, right? And when I worked when I was helping Jeff the Royals, and so it was it was funny because they were like, "Well, they only talk to me when I'm you know, hitting good," <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, that's usually how it is in baseball. <laughs> like if you're successful, like everyone's crying, killing it, you know." But you know, it's those times that you're struggling that you have to like mentally understand like, all right, I got to keep pushing through. I got to keep pushing through. And also don't be afraid to ask for help. Cause I think that's another thing with players in general, whether, whatever, wherever you're from, you know, whatever country, if you're from here, from the United States, like a lot of times you had so much success to get there and did everything on your own. And now you're not having success and you're like, I'm not asking nobody for anything. I can do this, you know? So kind of let, letting go of that, but they have to have that mindset. Like not everyone is trying to make you look bad. Not everyone is trying to put you down. You know, sometimes it could be the case, but a lot of times they're just trying to help. So yeah. that's definitely something we talk to our guys about. Be open minded. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit more about the company you work with, Empowerment Sports Group. I mean, you you, you kind of alluded to some some differences in kind of mission and, and just the outlook on what your role is, but kind of give us a, a brief overview of, of what that organization looks like. So it's me and my partner, Mike McGinnis, at the top. We have some other people that help us with scouting reports and just um, video and things like that, of that nature. Um, but really, we want to keep it small. You know, we don't ever want to have more than, you know, 25 players at a time because then it just becomes a numbers game. We want to be able to answer the phone when our guys call. We want to make sure that they're taken care of. We want to make sure that we can have conversations with them. Um, And that's really the important piece for us is just having those personal relationships and not them not just being a number, you know, because there's just a lot of that going on. And sometimes you know, guys just want to talk, you know, they don't want to talk to their, their wife about how terrible they're doing. Cause they always talk to her about it. She's just like, well, I'll do better. Yeah, you know? she, didn't, she didn't want to hear it all the time either. Right. Yeah. She's like, well, I'll hit better. Yeah. Like, well, maybe doesn't understand how difficult it is or, or maybe, you know, so just being that, that person that, that listens, yeah. you know, sometimes they'll just, they'll just go and talk and I'm just there just listening. And then I'm, I'm putting my two cents in here and there. But sometimes you need to talk to somebody just completely away from the game that has, like, nothing to do with their personal life either. You know, like, we're, like, family. But they just want to hear someone else's voice and, and hear what you have to say. You know, because, like, what I was saying earlier, I had a player once that he got injured kind of. It was maybe could have been the coach's fault, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's a pro, you know. So he got upset. And... The coach didn't really take ownership of it, but those things happen, you know, and you have to understand, like, you can't get mad at this blow up because there's so many levels to this, 
you know, and all you need is for one person to say that you're a bad, you know, you're a bad apple. And then the whole organization thinks you're like the worst person ever. I had a player a couple years ago too, that he came in to pitch and he blew the, he blew a no hitter as a relief pitcher. So he was using some choice, some choice words on the way in <laughs> and the coach, the pitching coach thought that it was directed at him. It oh. wasn't. So then they got this, this whole heated battle, you know, going back and forth, obviously it didn't end well and he ended up getting released later on. But, you know, it's those situations right there where like, you might just have to keep your mouth shut because you don't want to have baseball is a very, it's a very small world. Like everyone knows everyone. And, you know, I know people that, and that I've met that are like on the other side of the planet and they know someone that I met in California, like, you know, two months ago. So it's just, but it's all baseball related. So you, you, you can't really burn any bridges in baseball. Um, those guys might become, you know, a GM of another major league team and then you get traded there and they're like, Oh, that's the guy that was, <laughs> it's a very small world. Yeah. That's good advice for anything. Really. I feel like, you know, kind of, you know, don't burn bridges unless you absolutely have to. So it's good for, for, for kids to learn that early. Are you able to share any of the names of the, of the guys that you're um, an agent for that? Is that something you can share with us so we can kind of keep eyes on them? Yeah. So Jacob Bosiakovic, Randy Wynn, um, both those guys are AAA. Who are they with right now? So Randy Wynn was with um, the Louisville Bats. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jacob Bosiakovic, he was with the Cardinals organization, Memphis Redbirds. Um, so he was in AAA. Both of those guys were in big league um, spring training. Clayton Campbell, he's in rookie ball with the Tigers. He had the chance to be the first New Zealand-born major leaguer. They have yet to have one. That's awesome. So, so that what that happened. Um, we got him signed last year in December. Um, so he's been doing well. He's a catcher, third baseman, can really hit. Um, struggled a little bit this year. I think it was just getting he's just getting acclimated. Um, but the, the tools are there. He's young. He's only eighteen. Um, strong kid too. Got Logan Clark. He's also he's going to be rookie ball this year. The high school kid that got drafted. Uh, like a a one eight pop time. He's been sub one eight. Um, in some instances, very very good defensively. Uh, has some real power in his bat too. I think his bat's going to develop well. Michael Alfonso. He was taken out of Key West High School in the twenty twenty one draft. Uh, right hand pitcher. He's six foot three. He can really pitch. Good curveball. Had one of the highest um, whiff rates in in the Rangers organization. He's with the Rangers. Um, and that's all I can think of off the top of my head. So I don't start swirling here. Yeah, that's a pretty good list to kind of like watch out for. I mean, it'd be really cool to see the first New Zealand pro ball player. Like that would be pretty special for, for you and your organization. Yeah. They've only had one that made it up to double A or triple A, but okay. never made it to the major league. So wow, he still has a chance. And he, He's playing with Australia in um, the World Cup. Okay. So he was playing there. He also played for New Zealand World Baseball Classic qualifier. Yeah. So, so yeah, he's 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 definitely one um, to keep an eye. On. All all five of those guys are guys to keep an eye on. Um, and Gabriel Ponce is another one. He went from high A to Triple A. Ponce, Gabriel Ponce, and he's with the Blue Jays organization. 
great kid, 28th round pick, wouldn't have been drafted in today's draft or last year's draft. Yeah. <laughs> but he's a really good pitcher. He went from high A to triple A this year. That's and awesome. he ended up yeah, then he ended up in double A, but really good arm, young kid uh, from Arizona, Mexican American kid, amazing, amazing um, human being. All those guys I mentioned have really good good character and uh, hard workers for sure. That's cool. If there's a parent listening and they think that like their kid has something special and they just don't even know like where to start in terms of like how to make sure one that their kid is getting the appropriate like coaching and training and two like how to look out for him and put him on the right path towards perhaps a big league career is there like the best piece of advice that you could give to a parent of a kid like that um so i can i would say i'm glad to i'm glad to help anyone with any questions like email me at joseph at empowermentsportsgroup.com but the best advice I would give to parents is really understand and know the level your, your son or daughter can play at. Um, because sometimes, you know, you want them to play at a division one, but maybe they're not going to get opportunities there and you're just stuck on this and they might miss out on opportunities at another division two program or JUCO or a division three program. So really understand your, your son's abilities. And the other thing is instead of going to, you know, so many tournaments and so many things I would go to focus on a set of schools that one, they have major that the kid wants. And then two, I would say, go to their camp, um, go to the college's camps because that's where you want to be. Those coaches are all there. And if you have the talent and you go there and you show that you're interested, then you're going to get some interest there, you know? So I would say that, you know, a lot of times they're they're just trying to send them everywhere, you know, and really focus on on getting better. You know, he doesn't have to play in every single tournament. You know, if the, if the kid's 120 pounds that he can hit, but he has no power, he's not he needs to get stronger. So understand, like, OK, let's not play every single tournament. Let's play, you know, two tournaments this summer and the rest of the summer. We're going to put him with a strength coach and put him with people that are going to help him get stronger because there's no substitute for strength and that's one thing that i've i've always told my guys and all the guys we had drafted there were high school guys or young juco guys they're all physically strong you know they worked hard to be strong they're they're not going to take a kid that's frail out of high school very often they they want to see at least a little bit of strength with good shape to their body um so you got to be strong to be prepared to play yeah it's a long season whatever (laughs) Whatever season it is, college, high school, or, you know, tournaments at high school, fall ball, summer ball, it, you know, or big leagues, the 162 two games, and you only have one day off a month. Yeah, you're right. Not only just to, like, be a good player, but just to keep yourself healthy. you got to have the strength and the conditioning to make sure that your, your body can handle that grind on a daily basis. So, right. Do you have a favorite baseball memory that comes to mind? Either something, you know, as a player, as a coach, as a fan, anything goes here. I would say I have a couple. Uh, Kerry Wood, opening day, Shea Stadium. I want to say it was like 1998. He just dominated the bats, man. He struck out like 16 batters. It was 30 <laughs> degrees outside. He was throwing like 97. I was like, this is insane. I was, I was only... I think it was only eight or nine. I, I don't know. I want to say it was like 1998, but 
it was just unbelievable what he was doing. Like it was 30 degrees out and he was just mowing everybody. And he's throwing 97. I'm like, how is this guy throwing so hard? <laughs> and all the Mets hitters look terrible. Like I've been a Mets fan my whole life and I'm just like over it, you know? And so that was one memory. I have two more. Uh, when I was 10, I went to a Rangers game and Juan Gonzalez comes up and I tell my sister, I'm like, you're going to hit a home run, right? They're playing the A's. He hits a home run right field. Next I bat, I'm like, he's going to hit another one. He hit another one. And then the last, the the third at bat, I told her the same thing. He hit another one. He hit three home runs. <laughs> Juan Gonzalez, that huge leg kick. Um, so that was, that was really, really cool. Um, and then Probably the most recent one was uh, I go to my first game at Fenway. I've been at Fenway before for events, but watch to watch the Red Sox, I've never, never been. So my wife, my daughter, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law come on a trip, and we go to Boston, and we go to Fenway this summer, and it's like 95 degrees at game time. It's so hot, and I'm like, they're going to hit like six home runs, watch. And so... The game gets going, and they did, you know. So they, I think they hit like exactly six. And my brother in law, this is crazy. But the crazy part about it was, it was the worst loss the Red Sox ever had in history at Fenway. It was like 28, <laughs> 28 to something, I've heard 29. And it was like the Blue Jays were just teeing off. I was going to say, like, that was the Jays. I remember, I remember that over the summer, just looking at the box score and being like, is this like someone made a mistake <laughs> it was it was the it was the craziest thing i ever i've ever seen like That's it wild. was just like home run i mean the, the first home run of the game was inside the parkers and people completely lost the ball and then it landed just like gave up on it yeah so it was really so it was just like i was just very very <laughs> i was happy to be there but that just reminded me of like carrie wood not made the bats like at, at home you know, so like Fenway at home, my first game. Well, it sounds like it sounds like you were good luck for uh, Juan Gonzalez, at least. You know, like yeah, the Rangers must have run, won that game if he hit three home they runs. They did. They, <laughs> had, they he had a lot of home runs. Yeah. That game. I think it was like it was a high scoring game for the Rangers, not so much the A's. And they had they had a good they had, A's had a good team at that time. They had Giambi and all those you know, big sluggers. But yeah, it was. It was cool. It was cool. There's some some good memories. I have ballpark. Shea Stadium's not around anymore. Right. Uh, Arlington's not around anymore either. Ballpark at Arlington. It was a it was a beautiful ballpark. So I don't know how um, that went. And then Fenway, obviously, that's still that's never gonna. Yeah, throw if they anywhere. tear that one it's, down. There'll be a riot. So yeah, yeah it's an awesome, <laughs> awesome atmosphere though. Yeah. Awesome. Really yeah. Cool. Even when they're losing, like by a football score. They were still cheering. I was yeah. like, "Are these people serious?" They're still, they're still going. Red Sox, like they scored like one run. I was like, "They're still bound by 25. <laughs> I remember watching that. That was wild. What a wild night! It's crazy that you were there. Yeah, uh, that's so. funny. That's funny. What's the number one thing left on your baseball bucket list? Like the thing that you still just really want to do, and you you're just like, man, I wish I could find a way to make this happen or be around to see something like this happen. It would have to be just like a, a huge record be broken, like like Barry Bonds single season record. Uh, I'm a huge Barry Bonds fan. People criticize me for it, but I'm like Barry Bonds is incredible. Like he he's one of the best 
I mean, just to see anyone hit 74 home runs or to see someone hit 760, I think that would be that would be huge. I just don't see anyone doing it. And on top of that, Barry Bonds had 500 plus stolen bases. So I don't know if anyone's even going to do the 500, 500 again. So probably probably seeing one of those that that'd be bucket list for sure. Yeah, that'd be awesome Live. to see something like that. Uh, you know, Pujols just hit 700 this year. He's obviously yeah. done. It took him like 21 years or something crazy like yes. that. So I don't know that we'll see anything like that ever again, honestly. But we'll uh, see. yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't see it happen. I mean, even 600 is yeah. is very is very tough. Um, you know, these guys hit. They were consistent with the, with their home runs. It's it's not easy. I yeah. mean, Trout Trout has a lot of, but he's still far away from 600, um, and he's kind of like, you know, at the peak, and now he's starting to probably go down a little bit. He's a great player, a lot of great players. It's just the pitching has really, really, the velocity has really, really advanced. So they're they're adjusting for that. Even the off speed stuff is, it's more consistent. Uh, I hate when people say that you know pitching was easier when Barry Bonds is around. It wasn't as consistently difficult to hit, but there were still some really good arms. Yeah. So. Joseph, this has been awesome. Where do people find you online if they've, if they've got questions for you, if they just kind of want to follow along, check out ESG or, um, you know, find you online? Yeah, so they can email me at joseph at empowermentsportsgroup.com. If anyone has any questions about anything, I'm more than glad to help any way I can. And then my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle are the same. It's Joseph R. Yeah, email or for social media, and I'm there, you know. And then for Empowerment Sports Group, the handle for Instagram and social media is Empowerment SG. Perfect. Well, I can't thank you enough for spending this time with us and answering all the questions and sharing your um, your expertise and insight on things. It was super interesting to hear this stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. And that will wrap up this episode of the Baseball Bucket List podcast. Special thanks to Joseph R. Guzman for coming on today and sharing his story and all of that insight about the draft process, the agent, the advisor roles. Super interesting stuff. I feel like I learned a ton. If this sounds like something you'd like to do, if you think you might like to be a guest on the show, head to baseballbucketlist.com slash podcast and fill out an application there. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. While you're there, make sure to spend some time on the site, sign up for a free membership, build that baseball bucket list, track those ballpark visits, connect with other fans. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode.